started to develop an act and um you know and it it just it was i knew i knew that i was kind of going to be a lifer that was comedian arthur gauss i'm jeff and this is storied san francisco in this podcast arthur picks up where he left off in part one to set the stage for his entry to the comedy world. Arthur tells us all about the phenomenal San Francisco comedy scene of the 1980s and early 90s. He got his start doing stand-up at open mic nights around the city and in Santa Cruz, where he went to college. He worked his way up to a breakthrough at Cobbs, but Arthur also spends time telling us all about the magic of the punchline. Right at the onset of the pandemic, he released Nice Jokes for Smart People, which you can find on just about any streaming service. Arthur ends this episode sharing his hopes for whatever's next here in San Francisco. Be sure to check back next week when our guest will be former mayoral candidate and current day public defender and artist, Matt Gonzalez. Here's Arthur. I'd done the plays at St. Ignatius too, but that was like my first real stage experience. And like, it, it, it didn't take long for me to figure out that this was totally for me. Okay. But stage obviously is one thing. Comedy is a subset. So where did that come from? So in the eighties, standup was huge in San Francisco. Right. Huge. Like you could make a living as a stand-up in San Francisco, if you were sufficiently good. Like you could like Will Durst, you know, he he made a living being yeah. a comic in San Francisco in the 80s. Right. And uh, or like he rose to stardom in the 80s. And he, you know, and he's, you know, Will has more or less been, you know, to the extent that I've ever had a mentor in comedy, it's Will, you know. Mm-hmm. And okay. he he talks, he can talk about this 80s comedy boom. It's just like endlessly. It was such a thing. There were clubs everywhere. You could drive out to Walnut Creek. You know, you could start your night, the early show at Walnut Creek, and just kind of like hit shows on your way in until you ended up at Cobbs or the Punchline in downtown San Francisco. Wow. And and it was a and so many great comics came out of it. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg came out of it. Robin Williams came out of it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, uh, Greg Proops, Patton Oswald for a time was here, mm-hmm. Margaret Cho, like mm-hmm. all of these people came out of this boom. And as a result of the excitement that it generated, there was this TV show called Comedy Tonight on PBS. Right? Yes. It was like on KQED. It was called Comedy yes. Tonight. They did a bunch of shows from the punchline. I don't know if they always God. did it from the punchline, but I definitely remember that there were some shows taped at the punchline. And they, but it was just like standups. And it was like, from what I could tell, mostly local standups. And, mm-hmm. um, but it was huge. It was a big deal. And I, I remember watching it as a kid and being like, that looks awesome. Mm, <laughs> like, yes. I, like that looks so cool. Yeah. What do you, I mean, do you just think it was coincidence that, you know, there were, or like, what do you think explains? Cause my understanding in in the U.S. it's New York, Chicago, L.A. Right? Those are the big kind of comedy hubs. What do you think explains this phenomenon okay. in the '80s? Yeah. So, 
so it's it's kind of like here's here's kind of the way that I've been that I think about it and um and I think that it's true. I think it's also true in fine arts. My wife is a painter and she she said she was taught this at art school about San Francisco and I think it's really true and it applies to comedy as well and that is like stuff gets made in San Francisco, packaged in LA and sold to New York. Right. And you know, Chicago is kind of an, it's a great city, but it's, it's stock and trade is improv. Hmm. And, and there's a lot of stand up in New York because the networks are there. There's a lot of stand up in LA because the networks are there. Right. Um, but like why San Francisco and my own opinion. And I think that this is based on conversations I've had with Will and, you know, uh, you know, other people who've been around for a long time is that, um, is that there's kind of always been a place for stand-up in San Francisco. It was like Phyllis Diller was out here. Um, you know, Lenny Bruce famously kept getting, he would come here to get arrested basically. Right. Um, you know, there was, there was like, there was a connection between stand-up and like the big rock promotions of yesteryear, like Bill Graham. Mm-hmm. Like the punchline now is what it used to be the green room of a Bill Graham rock venue. Right. So there was this connection between like the big rock stars of the San Francisco sound and the comics. Mm-hmm. And and I th- and then, you know, there's just like, you know, why why would it be San Francisco? You know, I just think that like, you know, the the beat the beats in North Beach, like the live poetry thing is, you know, and the hippies, like the the kind of hippie renaissance fair vibe and like the beat poetry vibe. It's like stand up kind of fits in that spectrum in a way that like makes sense to people, you know? Totally. Um, I don't have a better way to explain it than that, but it's always been here. It's always been good here. Oh, yeah. um, you can always, I mean, this San Francisco produces good comics just like on a, on, it's like we can't stop. It's like a conveyor belt here. Like we just keep turning out good comics. And so. You know, I just think it's a place where you it, it after a while it earned a reputation as a place where you could go to get really good. And it's mm-hmm. still a place where if you're really serious about being a stand up and you come here, you can get really good um, mm-hmm. just by working the just by working the San Francisco and, and Bay Area shows because the audiences are smart and they're there to see stand up comedy. They're not just there to get drunk and eat nachos, you know. <laughs> right. But how um, kind of fortunate were you? that this this thing that happened in the 80s um, oh right would you would you say that was like your 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 kind of calling your your big inspiration or yeah well it was certainly i saw them doing it and said this looks cool and the other cafe was which was like a big comedy spot during the boom was near my house and um i never went into it but like i knew that it was there and i knew that people thought it was really cool you know what's that Um, it was called, it's now it's called Crepes on Coal. Okay. But back in the day, it was called The Other Cafe. And okay. you, if you get, if you, if you take the end Judah back when, like, you know, in the future when writing the end is like allowed again, mm-hmm. um, you, when you come out of the tunnel at Carl and Cole, if you look up, there's uh, a marquee and it says The Other Cafe Comedy Nightly. Got it. So now let's go back. So it's like, did you, were you still in high school? Had you graduated when you decided to? I think I had graduated. Just plunge. Okay. Was it like the summer after you graduated? Like what? Yeah. It, what's going was, on in your life when you were like 
that was that looks fucking awesome. I'm gonna try it. Well, I I don't know. I was just I think I I somehow figured out. I don't know how I know. Maybe it was like maybe I read it in the Weekly or the Guardian or the Chronicle or something, and it was like. But I figured out that it was that at this place, I don't know what it's called now, but there's still a coffee shop there, but it was called the One World Cafe back in, you know, year 2000 or whatever. Okay. And I went to the One World Cafe and I did a set at an open mic. There was a Friday night open mic there. And then, and then they told me like, oh, you can go and double up. You can do another you can do another set at um, this place called the Java Source on 6th and Clement. And that place was like mostly, mostly illegal gambling and some coffee. Is that the one next to Neck of the Woods? It's near Neck of the Woods. Scarlet Lounge now, maybe? Yeah, I don't know what it is now, but back then it was like a lot of obviously like card games for money. (laughs) <laughs> like right. like money on the table card games and like a lot of people drinking really strong coffee and in the back there was a stage and there was a Friday late show at the Java Source. Okay. Open mic and atrocious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so but anyway, the, there was this is like it's the year 2000 so the internet is kind of just getting going and and then after a couple of times doing the Friday double dip somebody gave me something back then it was called the list and like there was like a paper list and people would just hand out copies of the list. And there was, um, it was, you know, who was making the list back then is Tony Sparks. Who's still like the, it's like, he's your entry point for the world of comedy in San Francisco. Like you must go through Tony Sparks in order okay. to get anywhere. And he, he ran basically all of the open mics in the city, all of them. And Got he's it. the nicest guy. And he is like the most, supportive dude for comics that there is especially new comics he's an amazing guy but he 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 would it's like he would give you the list and it would say whether a show was an open mic or whether it was booked ahead of time and i just followed the open mic thing because i was 18 and like people were already looking at me sideways because i you know i was 18 and i looked about 13 and yeah and i couldn't do any of the bar shows so it was like for the first two years I was doing like open mics and coffee shops and like getting, I mean, I, I, coffee shops and art galleries. And I got, I got good pretty fast. I, um, I was obsessed with like never wanting to do the same set twice, which was like a really, like a very early rookie move is oh, like, yeah. that I would never recommend, but yeah. like, I would, but I was, but I, as a result, I was generating like tons of material, so much material. And, 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 and I didn't have much to do other than that. You know, I was going to school at UC Santa Cruz. And so I was just like heading back up on the weekends and just hitting these open mics, you know? And did you like it, Arthur? I was obsessed with it. Okay. Right away. You liked it. it. Instantly. I knew it and I knew it was going to be, I knew, and all my friends knew it was like, it was like the moment I started doing it, it was like, off we go. Like, you know. I never, never, it's like, I started to develop an act and, um, you know, and it, it just, it was, I knew, I knew that I was kind of going to be a lifer like okay. really fast. 
Yeah. Shit. So um pretty something pretty close to every weekend coming back from Santa Cruz. Oh my god. Like well, and there was like every every I've never been out of San Francisco for more than 6 weeks and mm. that was and so it was like almost every weekend. And there was like I started to be able to pick up some work in Sunnyvale at Rooster Teeth Feathers, which is a comedy club, and then like I was starting to get some work in San Jose. And and then I was starting to like kind of make my I was at UCSC and I was starting to get my own I was trying to produce my own shows there. All I was trying to do is get a set up any chance I could. Like right. I didn't care what it was. Like I if there was a microphone, I was I was putting a set up, you know. And not just the weekends anymore. Yeah, it was all the time. And um yeah, I was just I was a I was it's like it, it the liking it or not liking it sort of didn't enter my brain until later. It was just like, I did it and I had to do it again. I had to do it again. I had to do it. Yeah. That's probably the kind of thing that, that um, adults think of. Whereas at the time you're just like, this is what I'm doing. And it's, and you're, it just took over. Yeah. I remember there was, I have this one, the, one of the really clear memories I have about my like sort of relationship with standup at the time was like, like somebody gave me warriors tickets and like, I was all excited to go and like free warrior. And I mean, it was the terror. It was the era of the terrible warriors. And like, I went out there to Oakland and I like sat down in my seat and I looked up at the clock and it was like seven 45. And I realized that in 15 minutes, like this just like ghastly open mic at the one world cafe was about to start. And I felt this like deep sense of dread (laughs) But like I wasn't there at this yeah. terrible, god awful open mic, and that's when I sort of realized that like I kind of had like really warped the the space time continuum here, you know? Yeah, like maybe I have a problem. Yeah, that that was yeah. that it was something that like I, yeah, that there was that this was like bigger than just like a hobby, you know? Yeah. So, um, so take us through, this is, you, you got started in 2000. Um, what are some of the highlights of the last 20 years? Uh, well, let's see. Well, I can just kind of keep going in chronological order. So I, so at Santa Cruz, I started getting, I started getting, I started getting paid work by about my second year of Santa Cruz and like little, little paid work. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I got, I started to get, they in in like in like the comedy lingua of the time it was they would start they would call them showcases and it was like it was like you got booked ahead of time to be on somebody's show now i think you would just call them a bar show but back then they would call them a showcase right sounds really sounds fancy yeah it sounds fancier right and um and i was like and so i started getting booked for those and then and getting paid and, um, and then, you know, so I was driving up and down from Santa Cruz to start, and then I started getting some club work and then I, I like finished second, I think in like one of the competitions around here. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, and this was like probably my second or third year doing stand up. And then it was like, and then it was like, as soon as I got back after school, I was doing, I was I was at the punchline every Sunday I could be there. I was working every, I never said no to a gig. Um, Like, you know, probably just a few months after I graduated college, I got my first big week at 
at Cobb's, which was my, you know, which was like, that was a big, big, big deal to me. Were you opening there for, for like a, uh, a touring comedian or. Yeah, it was, it was the first week I did at Cobb's. I was opening the week for Ed Helms. Awesome. I don't remember who was the middle act, but like, um, but it was Ed Helms was the headliner and, um, you know, and I was the host and, you know, I had a great week. Um, they said, you know, oh, Cobbs is a really hard room to work. The management at the time was, they said, oh, they're tough. I wound up, none of it turned out to be true. I wound up like getting along great with the management, having great sets, like, and it was, you know, and then it was like, you know, then it really, it really picked up for me in a way that I found like quite satisfying, <laughs> you know? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Cobbs, Cobbs is, I love Cobbs, but it's, um, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like a, um, a triangular room, right? It's a cavern. Right. It's enormous and, and it's, it's, it's enormous on a slant or something. Yeah. And it's, it's on Columbus. It's like, which is a slant. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it, it, it's a little bit funny shaped and you kind of, there's like an art to learning how to work that room because mm-hmm. you kind of, ha- I mean, this is true for almost every room, but you, you have to work back to front at Cobbs. You have to really make sure the back of the room can hear you and understand you and, and, and is with you because the, the, if the back of the room is with you, then it'll work its way forward. But then you have to manage the sides of the room too, because there's this big cavern at stage, right. And, and like, you have to really work that stage right because of the shape of the room. But if they're like a football that, field away. Yeah. It's like, if you forget about stage left, then stage right will quit on you because of the way the, the room, the, the, they'll feel like you're not paying attention. And then you always have to work back to front. So you're always talking to the back of the room, but then you're checking in on the left and you're checking in on the right. And it's like, it, it requires some real focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. I was Go just going to, yeah, please talk about punchline. Um, I just in general, I'm going to be one of those annoying people during the pandemic. I just, that's, that is one of the things I miss the most is comedy. Oh my, yeah. you've <laughs> <laughs> Look who I'm talking to. What no, but honestly, to, <laughs> but, but I honestly. Just spent, I just half an hour telling you about how it's like, <laughs> about how like, about how I'm basically an, a, like an adrenaline junkie for it. Right. Now you're like, oh yeah, I missed going to comedy shows. I'm like, dog. <laughs> do you have any what any idea what I would do to get five minutes in a bowling alley right now? Oh um, man. No. So here's the thing. Back in the day, back in the day, like it was a little bit. It mattered when I broke in. It, it mattered a little bit, or at least I think to comics, it mattered whether you broke in at Punchline or Cobb's. And I broke in at Cobb's, and and a lot of people broke in at punchline so it was like i kind of had to break in twice i had to break in at Cobbs, and i had to break in at punchline okay but like punchline is like the thing that i always tell people about the punchline is like just like go any night because it's great but like like if you're really trying to get down if you're really trying to see something cool um and unexpected and just kind of spontaneous and like what you know, what stand up really is, is like, is just do yourself a favor and go on a Sunday night sometime, like on a three day weekend where you don't have to be at work in the morning or whatever, just find a Sunday to go. Because that's the that's the like, that's the San Francisco night, you know, and it's like they put up like 10 
you know, basically local acts. And then like frequently, you know, someone famous drops in and closes, Mm -hmm. but like, but most of the time what you're seeing is like the rotation comics at, at the punchline and Cobbs and, um, and, and in the audience, you know, the place will be full, but it'll be like, you know, you know, a hundred audience members and like 50 to 75 comics. Yeah. Because everybody's trying to get up at punchline and, yeah. and like the way that you get up is you sit there and you wait your turn. And right. it's been like that for 40 years. And, and so like, there's, it's always full and it's like half people who just want to go see comic comedy on a Sunday night, half people who are trying to, who are trying to get up at the club. And like, it makes for a really interesting comedy audience because the, the, the audience audience that's there is like their comedy, their comedy hardcores. Like that's right. what they're into is stand up comedy. And they want to the be there. Comics, yeah. And the comics, that's what they're into too, but they're just seeing it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you kill, 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 kill on a Sunday at the punchline, it's like you're making audience members laugh and you're making comics laugh, which is like the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so it's it's there's there's like it it gives a certain energy to those shows and so i always tell people like look go see the big headliner shows they're worth the money it's great you know absolutely do it but like you you are neg- if you live in san francisco and you like comedy you would be neglecting like yourself if you didn't you know once or twice a year just go peep the sunday show because it's really special and they've been doing it for a long time and they're gonna be back, right? Yeah, dude. Yeah, okay. Like you're tripping, man. They're gonna be back. Awesome. <laughs> um, I am I crazy? Did you put out a record or or something like that? A recording? Yeah, recently? I did an album. I did an album. I recorded it literally a year ago. Okay, and then nothing happened. So, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, yeah, what's going on with that? And 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 how can people find it? So they can find it on any streaming service to answer that question. It's on Spotify, Pandora, all of it. Um, Apple music. I don't know if it's on title, um, but maybe, maybe it is. Uh, but it's, it's called nice jokes for smart people. It's, um, it's about, uh, we recorded it like a year ago today. Um, and, uh, it's, it's 45 minutes. And it's on all the streaming service services. I think it's really funny. I mean, well, here's the thing. I think it's really funny. I also like spent six months of a pandemic editing it. So like, I hate the sound of my own voice and I don't, and I, all I can see is the flaws, but I I, like the people who have listened to it, they seem to think it's good. So I'll believe them. Um, And, uh, and yeah, it's called nice jokes for smart people available everywhere. (laughs) Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Can I have you end by talking? I I think it's on the minds of a lot of people. It's on my mind, certainly. Is like, maybe, maybe we're just starting to see the cracks of the end of this shit. Um, Mm -hmm. What are your feelings on San Francisco of the, the near future? I care very deeply about the city and I, I, I love it very much. And I obviously like, I found a lot of what happened over the last 15 to 20 years to be extremely offensive. There, Mm -hmm. there's something about the way 
there's some there's something about the about how much money came here um so fast so suddenly and the people it displaced and like mm-hmm. what greater purpose was it serving well it wasn't serving any greater purposes it like it turns out that many of these internet companies are basically like exxon but instead of pumping oil out of the ground it's like filling your brain with like disinformation you know right right um and like pretending that they're making the world a better place you know what i mean like that's the most offensive thing about it is that like like at least at least you know chevron oil has the decency to be like look we are pumping oil out of the ground what is your problem right um you know, it's like there's something about like all of this make the world a better place crap that was just like just the really, really, really offensive um, to me. Um, and so but like, what do I think about like the future of San Francisco? Well, or or what are your hopes? Where do you see it going? What do you where, where do you want it to go? Well. I hope they're booking stand up shows. Uh, <laughs> uh here's what I want. I wish people, here's one thing that I think about from my childhood in San Francisco that I think people don't understand if they didn't grow up here is that when I grew up here, um, there's always been the same amount of space in San Francisco. Right. It's always been seven by seven, right? You can only fit so many people here. Mm-hmm. And so as a consequence, no matter how rich you are, you're never that far. You're never that far geographically from somebody who's poor right and um and no matter how poor you are you're never very far geographically from somebody who's rich Mm -hmm. and there's something about the way the the recent spate of richness that is sort of like about excluding people and keeping like putting up these sort of like like making sure making sure the rich people are all siloed in their rich land and the poor people are all siloed in their poor land mm-hmm. and that there's no intermixing. And like when I was a kid here, you couldn't avoid the fact that there were going to be people different from you nearby, no matter where you were. Mm-hmm. And what that, what that produced, I think for people is an understanding that to the extent that you're in a better situation than somebody else, it's, because you are very, very fortunate and almost no other reason. Right. And to the extent that there's somebody that, that you're worse off than somebody, then like, you know, it's not really a reflection on you, you know, personally, because, you know, because, you know, it could be anybody out there. Right. And just being in contact with people who are different from you is a very valuable and enriching experience. And it's one that I hope doesn't get lost. And, and as the city rebuilds like or comes out of this and reopens and like you know wipes the cobwebs out of his eyes i i hope that people look around and see the people who are still here you know who made it out who didn't flee i hope that the people who are still here all recognize that we've all been through something extremely unique together and we might have all been in our apartments or in our homes or whatever, but we all had the same, uh, we all had a common experience. And so, you know, I, I would just, I would just really, really hope that, 
I mean, we're a city that rebuilt after the whole thing fell down and then burned, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're a city that, you know, th- we're a city that like, you know, <laughs> there was another earthquake and then we lost the world series, which that was a tough <laughs> year, you know? Um, so like, you know, we've been through some stuff together and this is just another thing that we've been through together. But I think that I hope, and I just hope that people can realize that there's no way that any reopening or rebuilding or coming out of this pandemic is going to function at all unless we sort of chart a path of, um, you know, uh, openness and inclusivity and, you know, in, you know, compassion and, you know, in some ways forgiveness. Um, so I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know how it plays out as a practical matter. Um, but I hope those are the principles that guide it. And, um, and I hope they're booking comedy shows. (laughs) That was Arthur Gauss. Next week on Storied San Francisco, get to know Mac Gonzalez. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. The show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have nearly 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so that we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love it. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.